listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. You have recognized missed opportunities. And some of those could have been big missed opportunities. Some of those could have been small opportunities. But, but if you're like me and you really started to think and write down some things, you could come up with a pretty good list of, oh, man, if I'd have just acted at that point. Maybe it was a financial missed opportunity that you go, oh, boy, I had somebody telling me I needed to buy right then and I didn't, or I needed to sell right then and I didn't. I missed that opportunity. Or maybe it's a a, a relational missed opportunity. Maybe some of you think back to middle school and if you're the guys you remember she was the one she was the one that you just thought it's impossible she could never be mine and then you run into them somewhere uh after college or in and uh in the reunions and they go really you thought that you should have asked me out and you're going what are the missed opportunities i don't know what yours are uh, i've got some missed opportunities and and i find that The ones that bother me the most now as a follower of Jesus are opportunities that I could have stepped into the life of an individual who had questions that I had answers for. The problem is for most of us, we get ourselves so busy. We get ourselves so focused on the next task at hand because we've got a thousand and one tasks that need to be done in the next hour that we miss opportunities. You know, you hear that phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees. I think we've got it backwards. Sometimes, a lot of times, most of the time, I think we can't see the trees for the forest. We've got to get there. We've got to get this done. This has to happen. And, And going after a good thing, we miss out on a great thing. I think I resonate with that reality unfortunately too often as a representative of Jesus an opportunity that I had to represent Christ in the life of an encounter that I came into contact with but because I was so focused on the next task at hand I missed that opportunity Acts chapter number three is where we're going to be today we're going to continue in our series looking at the book of Acts. And, and, and those of you who have been with us know that, that Acts comes after the gospel. So in your New Testament, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then right next door, you'll find the book of Acts. And Acts is a transitional book, if you will. It is, it is the things that are happening as the, as the Old Testament era has come to a close with the death and resurrection of Jesus Messiah. A way has been made for forgiveness and salvation through his sacrifice and his sacrifice alone. Not only for the Jew, but for the Gentile, any who will confess Christ as Lord on the basis of his death and resurrection can experience this salvation, this forgiveness, this new life. And the book of Acts is a book of of the things that happen immediately after the death and resurrection of Jesus 
and now moving into the era that we call the New Testament era, the, the church era, if you will, and those things that transpired as the followers of Jesus are becoming a new body known as the church, and they have a new common denominator. We've seen this in the chapters previous. That new common denominator is the Holy Spirit that has been sent in fulfillment of the promise of God through Christ and others in the Old Testament that God was going to dwell not only with them, but in them in a very supernatural way, the likes of which has never been experienced by the people of God as a whole. And so now we've got this brand new baby church that has been born, follower of Jesus, now infused with the Holy Spirit. And with that comes power to do what? Jesus said that power is being given to you so that you can be my what class? Witnesses. You're going to represent me. You're going to reflect me and represent me to the world. You're going to go into all the world and you're going to make disciples of all the nations. And when they, by faith, trust those things that you tell them about me and the things that I have done for the world, who I am and why I came, when they believe, then you're going to train them, teach them in the things that I have taught you. And so we're kind of seeing that happen. Well, when Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, that's kind of how the book of Acts is broken apart. So right now we're in chapter number three and we'll continue on chapter three, four, five, six. And the first few verses of chapter six, we're seeing these first believers be witnesses in Jerusalem. When we get past chapter, or we get to chapter six, we're going to see them being witnesses in Judea and then Samaria and then the ends of the earth. Right now we're in chapter number three. And we saw last week how that as these believers were coming to faith in Jesus, we saw in chapter number two that there was a holy, uh, there, there was a holy awe. They were, they were uh, uh, amazed by the things that were happening in their body. And some of those things they were in awe of was the fact that there were signs and wonders being done by the apostles. And Luke records one of these signs for us. Now don't forget, Missed opportunities and those opportunities that we have to represent Jesus in the encounters that we have. We find ourselves in chapter number three, Luke records a particular encounter. But I think Luke's purpose in recording this encounter in chapter three, the first few verses, is to show how this encounter actually ended up causing a pretty big stir that created all kinds of opposition for this baby church. But we don't want to miss what happens in this seemingly random interaction that we have with a couple of the apostles and one guy. But I don't think it was random. And we're going to see how that they did not miss this opportunity. Let's just Read along. Chapter number three, if you have your Bible, that's where we'll start. Verse number one. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That was the ninth hour after daylight, which would have made this about three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, the devout Jews had three times that they would pray. If you've been around Sunday school, you'll know about the Old Testament uh, character of Daniel. Daniel was put into a den of what? 
lions and they didn't eat him up. Why? Because he had God on his side. But Daniel got put in the den of lions because he was faithful to the times of prayer. About nine in the morning, about noon time, and then about three o'clock in the afternoon. There's specified times where if you lived in Jerusalem, you would come to the temple and there would be prayer services, if you will. So about the afternoon hour of three o'clock, Peter and John were going to the temple. And a lame man from birth was being carried. Now, Luke wants to make this very clear. He's been crippled for as long as he's been alive. And we're going to discover in chapter number four, verse number 22, that this man was over 40 years old. So he's been a crippled man for all of his 40 plus years. Not being able to walk, not being able to help himself, he has to be carried from place to place who was being carried, whom they laid, so this is family members or friends, whom they laid at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. Now, most Bible scholars don't think that there was a gate with beautiful written across the top, that that's, this is more descriptive of the gate than it is a, a, a proper name. And so it, this is uh, probably one of the more popular gates, kind of like the way we do, uh, you know, we've got our back entrance and there's not a whole lot of welcome stuff out in front of it, but our front door, we got flowers, we got mats, we got doodads hanging on this and chairs out there that none of us are ever going to sit in because that that's kind of the front entrance of our home. Well, most Bible scholars think that what Luke's trying to convey is what they would call kind of the front entrance to the temple proper. It would have been going through the gate where Gentiles could be. You know, the Gentiles had an area that they could roam. And then you would go into a court called the court of women. That wasn't segregated for women, but that was the court that the women could go into. But it was kind of like the front door, if you will, to the temple. It says they laid this guy at the front entrance where most people would be coming for what purpose? It says to ask alms of those entering the temple. The folks would be coming into the temple. They would have their mind and their heart on worship and prayer. And when you would find someone in need right there, it would be a a great time to to capture some uh, generosity from people who already kind of had their hearts and mind on God. It would almost be like when, when you come to, to church on a Sunday and we have a need and I say, hey, y'all, we've got a need. Uh, really would love for you to give deep because we need to meet this need. And most of you, you're already in an attitude of worship. You're already in an attitude of, okay, I want to do something. And you probably will on a Sunday give more than you normally would and maybe even get out the door and wonder, why did I put that? But I hope you don't. But it's the same kind of thing. They would lay him there because this man could not work. He could not care for himself. He was a hopeless case. Say those two words with me, hopeless case. He couldn't walk. He couldn't care for himself. He had to be carried like an invalid and just laid at the gate where he would hold some kind of basket or bag or cup and be asking for money. 
We see that in our society today, too, panhandlers. And, and, you know, you drive by and you wonder, I wonder if these are really folks that have a need or if they're making more than I'm making by panhandling every day. And we have that same thing. But it's very common because these folks were a hopeless case. If they didn't have any money at the end of the day, then they were going to be suffering. So they laid this guy, this lame man, at the beautiful gate to ask alms. Verse number three. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them to receive alms. Now imagine that he probably was saying, alms, alms for a a crippled man, alms for a crippled... And these folks are pooling by going to three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, Alms for a, uh, sir, ma'am, alms for a temple, Uh, alms for a beggar, alms for a crippled man. And, And the Bible says that he got a glimpse of Peter and John and he specifically asked them for something. Now, you've probably been at the stop sign or the red light and the, the, the man or woman with the sign is coming down the line And probably at some point, you've probably thought, if if I look at them, they're going to take that as a symbol to come here. And you may have been by yourself, and maybe there's been a time where you've seen this, and they're coming your way, and all of a sudden, you reach down to turn on a radio that hasn't worked in two years, or to fiddle with the the, uh, AC that is already at its maximum capacity. Why? Because you're just not wanting to, if I just don't look, then they'll go on. And today is not about how we interact with panhandlers in 2019. I think we have to be strategic and I think we have to be very careful what we do in that respect. But my point is, you know what it looks and feels like to look away from someone who at least appears to be destitute and in need. And I'm sure this man probably got that same reaction by those. And and maybe someone would drop something in, but most of the folks would be talking as they were going into the temple and they would hear it, but it's just noise because I have no intention of helping this one. One of the things that we need to keep in mind is that the Jews had it in their mind because they were taught by their leaders that if you were diseased or somehow physically impaired or somehow you, you were on one of the outskirts because of some kind of problem you had, it was because you were a sinner and God was judging you. They had been taught that these people are under God's judgment. And so therefore, it's really not that big a deal to walk by. If God wanted to help them, he could help them. But obviously, he doesn't want to. Jesus spoke directly to that issue when he came and and congregated around those in need. He was constantly healing. He was constantly touching those that were in need of his help. And he was gathering around those that were outcast and those that no one wanted to look at. And the Bible says when Peter and John, representatives of Jesus and his ministry, came to the temple, this man saw them and asked them for money. Peter and John were intent on a good thing. And what was that? Prayer. 
They were going to church, if you will. They were going to worship. They were going to spend their time on a good thing. And this man directed himself, seeing them, asking them to receive off. Verse number four, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. The idea is probably you've been in a crowded line and the crowd is moving and and things are going on and you're focused on where I've got to get to, but you hear something and it got Peter and John's attention and I think probably they stopped and then they started getting bumped so they had to get out of the way to let others go through. The Bible says Peter looked at this man who was holding up his cup What did the man want? The man wanted some money to get him by because he had no other means of gathering. The only hope he had was in money. The only thing that he could count on was a little bit of generous cash. The Bible says that Peter looked at him as did John. They stopped. They didn't look away. They didn't walk by. They stopped. And Peter goes, look at me. Now, I don't, I don't think Peter was, was trying to draw attention to himself, but I think he was trying to get the focus of the man. The man was basically saying, I've got a need. Could you please help? And I think Peter was like, oh, buddy, can I? Look at me now. Do I have your attention? And I imagine the guy was like, oh, boy. He's, he's about to have to go into his bag. He's about to bring out something. He's got my full attention. He's going to fill my cup. I'm going to be good for the next couple of weeks. And Peter says, what? I have no silver and gold. What he wanted, what he needed, what he was there for, the purpose of him being there. Peter said, look at me. I can't help you. I got nothing. Don't you imagine that for a minute, the guy's going, well, get out of the way then, because maybe they do. Well, what are you, what are, what are, you try, are you making fun of me? You, want to focus, you wanted me to focus my attention on you so that you could tell me you got nothing for me. How cruel. I'm, I'm going I'm to jump out of the, I'm going to jump off the trail for a minute, okay? Can I do that? How many times do we as Christians do that very thing? Representing Jesus and a need be there. And because we're so wrapped up in what we don't have, that's all we communicate to them. Yeah, but I'm sorry, I can't help you. And move on. I mean, be honest. We're not trying to hurt nobody. We're not really trying to be ugly. But how many times do we communicate what we don't have and leave them in their need? Peter doesn't do that. Peter goes, man, look look at me. I I don't have any silver or gold. I'm sorry. I'm out of cash. You got to think about it. What what was Peter's occupation when Jesus found him? He He was a fisherman. What hasn't he done in like the last three and a half years? Fish. So, I mean, Peter's probably going, buddy, I'm in the same boat you are. 
but, but we've already read in the chapter previously that those believers who came together, they were sharing, they were wanting to make sure that nobody's hurt. Peter, don't you worry, man. You keep doing what Jesus told you to do. We're going to provide. We'll sell some stuff if we need to to make sure that we can. So he's really, he's in the same shape this guy's in, not working, not any income coming in, but he's a part of something. He's a part of something tangible that Jesus made in a very, in a very vague way. Not vague, vague's not a good word. In a, in a very broad way when Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom and, and all these other things will be added. And so that was what Peter was doing. He's like, God, how are you going to, how are you going to provide for me? And God's like, I'm going to gather some folks around you that are making plenty of money to care for you and these others in need. And that's how it was working. So Peter goes, buddy. I don't have silver or gold. I don't have any cash to help you. And and he didn't say, but I know some folks who've got some money. That's not what he said. He says, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Now, this is what I think Peter was referring to. I think he was referring back to what we'll find in Luke chapter nine, verse number one, where Jesus gathers the 12 and he grants them the authority and ability to cast out demons in his name and to heal diseases in his name. Well, I don't see anywhere where, where Jesus took that back from them. Like, you don't have that anymore. But I did hear him say to them, you'll receive power when the Holy Ghost has come on you and you'll be my witnesses. So there's Holy Spirit power. There's Jesus' authority. And I think Peter was like, this is something we're going to be able to do. Jesus gave us the power. This, this man thinks he needs money. What he really needs is the Lord. But so that he will understand who's doing this for him, he says, what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Notice, this is very important what Peter's doing. He's going, look at me but don't count on me. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, how old is this guy? Over 40. The first few verses said they carried him here how often? Daily. Like what's just happened in like the last month? What has just happened that has caused great upheaval in Jerusalem that everybody's talking about? The crucifixion and resurrection of the Nazarene by the name of Jesus. And then what has happened maybe a week or a few weeks just before this event? You remember that great noise like a mighty rushing wind? And, and the crowds being gathered around and then everyone hearing the mighty works of God spoken in their own native dialect. Where's this guy been every day for who knows how long? Right here at the front door of the temple. You think this guy probably has heard about the man Jesus from Nazareth? I think probably. In fact, do you think it's possible that Jesus and those around him had even walked by him in ministry 
And that man sat there crippled and he's like, oh, that was Jesus. Was Jesus able to heal this man? Well, of course. Did Jesus heal every person in the planet while he was on the planet? No. Because his healing was not so much about setting everyone free from their temporary ailments. His healing was to authenticate his message. What he was saying he was there to do. Who he was saying he was there from. And what his ministry was about. His healing and his abilities were God's authenticating him as Messiah. So no doubt in in my mind, this guy probably knows who Jesus is. And Peter goes, what I've got, I want to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Now, if I were to say to you, Chad, you got some debts you'd like paid off? If, like, if, if I could just pay off all your debts right now, would you, would, you, would you be in for that? Yeah, you'd be in cool for that. Chad, look at me. In the name of Brian Napier, On the basis of Brian's ability and authority over your debts, your debts are now wiped out. Now, thanks, Brian. Now, and you nod and you go, and and you do just what you did. You sarcastically go, "Cool," and Brian's like, "What? I I can't do." When, when Peter said in the name of Jesus, he was marking his authority and his ability. I think what Peter was looking at this guy and going, in the name of Jesus, Jesus can heal you if he is Messiah. In his name, he's got the ability and he's got the power. I get up and walk. Some, some, what, what verse are we on? We're on seven. What's the next verse? Put, put up seven. Look what it says. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. Now, I don't think that this is what we see in, in, in churches where guy comes up and, and he does and on that touch. I don't think that's what's happening. But here's what I do think. I think he's going, in the name of Jesus, what do you say? In the name of, in the name of Jesus, what do you say, man? And he grabbed him and he pulled him up. I think this right here, was him offering that guy the opportunity to go, I'll confess him. I'll believe in his ability and his authority. And Peter, what do you say? Pulls him up. And what do we find? Immediately, his feet and ankles were made strong. He's never been able to stand on these. Uh, Kids all have to learn how to walk, don't they? I mean, they got little wobbly legs. They can't do anything with them until they get stronger and learn how to stand. This guy's never stood and immediately his feet and ankles were strong. He stands up having responded to that, to that offer of, of what Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Christ can do. And he pulls him up and he's able to walk. Verse number eight, and leaping. I don't know about you, but none of my kids, even when they learned how to walk, could instantaneously hurdle the coffee table. 
This guy begins to leap and praise God. He stood up and began to walk and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. It's a funny picture in my mind. It doesn't say that, but wouldn't it be funny had he leaped and jumped and moonwalked across the stage? And I mean, just yes, with the whole up on the toes and everything. I got strength in my feet. How is this possible? I'm glad you asked. In the name of Jesus Christ. Of Nazareth, verse number nine, all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with, in the book of Acts, you're going to see all kinds of words like wonder and amazement. You know why? Because we are moving out of the Old Testament into the new and the, and the followers of Jesus have, have, have the Holy Spirit in their heart. They've been given power. God is doing things now through the body where he used to only do things through the kings and the priests and others that were anointed. Now we're seeing things happen on a daily basis through ordinary folks who just made it an encounter they were willing to have. Now, I don't think that, uh, that we can count on being able to go out and chat in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Your debt is paid off, and Brian, you'll never have another sprained ankle, and Stephen, you're going to have the desires of your heart, and this is going to be fixed, and that disease is going to be gone. I don't see anywhere in Scripture that we can stand on and say that we have the same purpose that the apostles had. But I don't think that this is the biggest miracle that we see happen, his ability to walk. You see, that's something that could go away on the first time this man gets run over by a chariot because he wasn't watching where he was going. He could lose his ability to walk tomorrow. The big miracle was, in the name of Jesus, what do you say? Is, is he Messiah? Is he raised? You've heard it. In the name of the risen one, the Christ, the Messiah. We say, I think in that instant, that fellow went, I believe, pow, up he went. The changed life was the far greater miracle than the strong feet and ankles. And these people are going, what's going on? I don't understand. Let's, let's put on our reading glasses, okay? Because Peter's about to tell him, let's don't miss it. Verse number 11, while he, talking about the man, while he clung to Peter and John, well, of course he is, man. He's jumping around. He's hugging on them. He's going, thanks, man. I don't even know what to say. I just don't even know what is hardly even happening. I can't believe it. I'm walking. I'm running. I'm leaping. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. The man's here hanging on him and everybody's gathering around like, what? Ain't he? Yeah, he's the one. What in the world has happened? And Peter goes, men of Israel. Y'all remember last week, Peter preached a message on the spur of the moment. Guess what? 
he's doing it again. He didn't pull out his notes and go, hold on just a second, let me get my notes out, let me get everything spread out so I can tell you that. No, he just began doing what Jesus told him he would have the ability to do, and that's represent Jesus. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Why are you looking at me? We're not the one who caused this. The God of Abraham, y'all know him? The God of Isaac, you remember studying about him? The God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you all delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? And what did the people say? Give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Y'all remember that? Not been too many days ago. That Jesus, that was God's servant the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and our fathers, that that God glorified his servant, Jesus. Y'all killed him. You remember that? You killed him, the author of life, verse number 15, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. We've seen him. We've touched him. We've heard him. We just saw him a few days ago. We know he's alive. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. We say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, if he would have said, that Jesus is dead, get out of my way so I can get some money, would he have been healed? No. Things would have been the same. He'd have got some money. He'd have went home. He'd have spent it. He'd have needed some more. What do you say? Name of Jesus of Nazareth? He responds, and now you see what Jesus has done. Now, brothers, verse 17. I know that you acted in ignorance when you killed Jesus. I get it. You didn't really know what you were doing. You were just following the crowd. You were just yelling what they were yelling. I get it. As did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. I know you were doing it in ignorance, but that doesn't get you off the hook. You still killed him. I know you didn't know what you were doing. And, and, and it's, 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 it's okay in the fact that it was part of God's plan. God planned for that to be fulfilled. And he prophesied it, so it was going to happen. Here's what you need to do. You need to repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Because that's the big thing that happened. It's not the, the healing of the legs. It's not that he can walk where he used to be lame. It's that Jesus, who is risen, if you will repent and you'll confess him as Lord, he will blot out your sins and you got a bunch of them on your account. This idea of repentance is the notion of, of changing your mind about someone. Who had they said Jesus was? He was, a, he was someone who was against Caesar and he needed to be killed because we have only one king and his name is Caesar. And it ain't Jesus and y'all can do with him whatever you want to. You need to change your mind about that. What does it mean for someone to come by faith in Jesus? It means that they change their mind about who he is and what he did. 
Anybody can say, I believe in God and I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. Those are all true, but he's not your Savior unless you confess him as Lord. Unless you confess him as God's sacrifice for you. And that's what Peter's saying. You all see this and you're glorying in it. I need to tell you the one who did this is Jesus. And what he wants to do is to forgive you if you'll by faith trust him just like this man trusted him to be healed. Verse number 20. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You trust Jesus, you can count on not just being healed physically, but when you trust Jesus, you've got promises that are all going to come about. They're just going to come about later on, but they're going to happen. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. You say, where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing there? He's waiting. He's waiting for the Father to say, it's complete. Go get your bride. And Jesus will return and there'll be a resurrection and he'll bring the saints with him and we get all into all of those end times things. He's waiting. We're in the same wait that Peter was talking to these folks about. He goes, you trust Jesus and then you just, hey, you trust that those times of refreshing are gonna come and they're gonna come and they're gonna come when Christ returns and when's he gonna return? When it's time for him to leave, when heaven says go, when the father says go get your bride, he'll come. Verse number 22, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers who shall, you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and to those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. You know that's what God said to Abraham. Verse number 26, God having raised up his servant, sent him first to you who are Jews to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This Jesus that was crucified is the prophet that Moses talked about. He's the savior that the prophets talked about. He's the one that God attested before you with signs and wonders and miracles and you killed him. And it was God's plan that he be sacrificed. And if you will simply change your mind, confess him as Lord you can be brought into his family and receive those promises and you can walk in the reality of one forgiven. You see, this all happened because Peter Peter and John, on their way to a good thing, were willing to be delayed for the purpose of trying to meet the need of one that they encountered. They didn't miss that opportunity. They took it. What are we called to do, Christians? We're called to represent Jesus. 
We're called to represent him in our daily life, in the places we go, in the, in the, in the things that we say, in our normal routines. Where are we? We're at work. We're at school. We're at Walmart. We're, we're at the grocery store. We're at the ball field. Wherever we're at, we're called to represent Jesus. We encounter and we face opportunities all the time to engage people for the purpose of representing Jesus to them. The question is, are we going to do it? Are we going to take the time? And when we do, we might not have what they want. Or what they want, we might know they don't need because we have experience wanting stuff that we don't need. We have a fear. And what do we do? We turn to our God and we ask God to change the thing that I'm afraid about. And God looks at us and goes, I'm not going to change the thing that you're afraid about. I want to work on your fear. You know, we look at God and we go, God, you know, I got this, I got this thing going on and I really need you to fix it. And he's like, well, how about if I, how about if I help you fix what caused the thing in your life? See, we have experience wanting what we don't need. And and if we're honest, God doing for us what we need rather than what we want. And when we pay attention and we let him have his way, we grow as a result of it. We encounter people all of the time that are communicating their need. We have the answer. It's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, probably there'll be times that you reach to meet that need. And you're like, you know what? I can't, I don't have that. And, but can I introduce you to one who does and who can? you'll probably get some, nah, that's all right. You, you, don't, you don't have anything that, no, nah, oh, it's okay. I, I've had that in, in times past. You know, folks may have come, we, we get a lot of requests for financial assistance from, from just folks in the neighborhood that have never been here. Or whatnot. And, and I've had folks that have said, hey, I, I, you know, just we, we don't have what we need and can, you know, is there resources that we can get from the church? And, I, and sometimes I've had to say, you know what, we don't, we don't have those resources readily available to just give out to whoever asks, but we do have some folks that will work with you and help you get your finances in order free of charge. I, they, I know they'll sit down with you and they'll help you get, and, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know what, if, if they'll take advantage of that opportunity and go, I would love to do that because really we've got a problem that's recurring. If they were to say, how do I go about doing that? Then, then I'm probably going to right behind that, give them the person and get them connected. But then I'm probably going to get on the email to you guys that are really connected to Oasis Church and go, hey, there's a family in need. Let's, let's give something to help them out because they're wanting to do and they're wanting to find out. So I'm probably, gonna, but when they look at me and go, you know, I appreciate that, but really what I really just needed is the thing I wanted. And I go, I wish I could help. Sometimes they don't, but sometimes they will if we will just do what? Represent Jesus. 
How often do we as Christians encounter folks with Christ in our heart, the Bible on our phone, or on the way to church, or on the way to small group, or whatever it is we're doing? It's a good thing. And we miss the opportunities that God has put in front of us to represent him. I wonder how many folks that have been there and have been needing a real need, wanting what they don't need, and us having what they do, and because we were so focused on the forest that we couldn't see the trees, and we missed out on an opportunity to watch God transform a life just like he transformed us. Man, it... This is not a guilt trip that I'm putting you on. This this is just trying to show you the opportunities that are available if we'll just simply hear them and slow down and turn. A couple of lessons that I want us to learn from this. The first one, from the eyes of Peter and John, I've alluded to a lot of this, but from the eyes of Peter and John, here's the lesson that I think we need to learn. Take advantage of every encounter as an opportunity to represent Jesus. How many of you go out to eat after church? Raise your hand if you go out to eat. My hand's up. I go out to eat after church. Okay. How many of you ever go out to eat at all with waitresses? Okay, I need to come live with some of y'all. Y'all cook every night. It's nothing to have me over. This ha- I, I don't do it all the time, but this is something you can do. And we'll do this. Boys, remind me when we, do, we go out to wherever we go. Waitress comes over. She takes your drink order. And you got Jesus in your heart. You, 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 got, the, you got the gospel Uh, you got enough of the gospel to understand what it did for you. Waitress comes along and she takes your drink order. Guess what that is? Encounter. That's an encounter and guess what it could be? Opportunity. Here's what I want to challenge us to do. Let's all do this if we go out to eat. Next time we're in. She comes, she takes drink order and and you say to her as she's about to leave, you say, sir or ma'am, I say she, like all folks are waitresses, her or him. You say, sir, ma'am, my family is going to, uh, to pray that God would bless our food. We're followers of Jesus. Is there something I could pray for you about? Is there anything going on in your life that, I could, that, that we could just remember you? Listen, I don't always remember to do that, but I'm telling you every time that I've remembered to do that or when I'm with someone who does it, I'm telling you what it does is it I don't recall anybody ever going, you're such an idiot. Why would you ask me that question? Every one of them are shocked, number one, that you care enough to encounter them. They expect you to be mad about what they mess up. But most of them are like, oh, re- really? Oh, well, oh, I don't know. Uh, I, got, I got kids, you know, my, my son, I hadn't seen him in a long time. We're kind of estranged. I'd love for you. You know what? I, I, believe, I believe that God can work in that. Do you know Jesus? Yeah, you ever trust him? Go as far as you are comfortable. What you're doing is you're inviting them in. And then you know what you get to do? You get to pray. Sometimes you're going to find someone who will, you'll ask them that and their eyes will tear up a minute. You know, they'll, hmm. Nick, can I share, can I share a story? And can I use you as a story? Okay. So I'm at Planet Fitness, and uh, <laughs> you, you're going, not a lot. <laughs> but anyway. <clears throat> so come here. Come here, Nick. So I'm at, I'm at Planet Fitness, and um, I have this T-shirt on, and it's, now come here. I'm going to stand there. I want them to be able to see you. 
This guy's getting baptized today, by the way, at 4 o'clock at Lake Deer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you got something that you could put off to another time, come on. He just really wants to be baptized in the lake. Anyway, so I'm at, uh, I'm at Planet Fitness, and I got this T-shirt on, and it says Project 316. Okay, it was something that the Ridge Association did. It was March of 2016. It was based around the idea of John 316, right? And so uh, I had that T-shirt on. The back of the T-shirt, it said, Ask Me. And the idea was, folks, somebody would say, hey, your shirt says, ask you, what's that all about? And you would go, well, it's a campaign our church and some other churches are doing. It's about John 3.16. Do you know John 3.16? And they go, yeah, I know. Can you quote it? And, and they would say, oh, maybe. Well, let's quote it together. And we would go, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And they would either know it by heart or they would know part of it. And I would say, yeah, it's 25 words. 25 words that tells us that, that God loves the world. God loves us as sinners. God loved the world. And, and God loves us so much that he gave his only son, Jesus. And he gave Jesus so that, so that he might, uh, in our place and for our sin, die on the cross and pay for our sin so that we might be forgiven. And the verse says that God loved us and God gave his son that whoever believes that whoever embraces Jesus as Savior and, and, and as, as the risen Lord can cannot perish but have everlasting life. So that little 25 verse thing, 25 words, that verse says that God loves, so God gave. And if we receive, we can live. That's a pretty good message, isn't it? I just told y'all how to share with the waiter or waitress about Jesus. Now, these two little old ladies were working out in Planet Fitness. They saw that on the back of my shirt and they came over and they said, uh, your shirt says, ask me, what's up? And I went, what? Oh, oh yeah, I forgot. I had, my plan- I had my 316. And I did that with them and they were like, yeah, yeah, I know. One of those ladies was his mama. Now, we got to talking for a minute and, and they were like, uh, you know, what... Uh, what do you do? And I went, well, ironically, I'm pastor of a church over and well, where are you at? And I explained that like, yeah, I've, been, I've seen that before. Yeah, absolutely. We were, we, you know, they went on, worked out and I got on another machine. And next thing I know, came back over and they said, you mind if we talk to you for a minute? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And Nick's mom says, listen, would, would you be willing to pray for my son? And I went, yeah, what, what's going on? And uh, she says, well, he just, he's, he's not in a good place right now. And uh, I just want to, I just want to pray. And I'd love to know that others are praying that God would do a work in my son. About a, about a month, month and a half ago, this guy right here, not, not with me, with, with another brother, um, asked Jesus Christ to be his savior. And, and, and me, yeah, yeah, that's worth it. That's good. <clears throat> So look, so, and now he's been bugging me. He really has been bugging me about getting baptized. He, he's trying not to. He's like, you know, I'm just really not, no, you're not bugging. But he wants to get in that water so that folks can see I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm confessing that publicly. And he wants to do it in a special place that he has spent a lot of his life around in Lake Dip. What I'm telling you is that he knows Christ and is going to want to follow him with his life has nothing to do with me. 
Peter says, it's got nothing to do with me. Let me tell you who it's about. It's about Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, who will bring about transformation in your life. And there's a guy back there who knows that story. There's a guy over here who knows that story. There's guys and gals all over this room who knows what Jesus has done for you. And if we will simply take the encounters as opportunities to represent Jesus, who knows what he'll do? Well, here's the answer to that. We know exactly what he'll do. Amen? They all want to give you a hug, so I'm going to take it for them. You sit down there. Four o'clock, four o'clock, Lake Deer, wherever in the world that is. I don't know, you got to tell me where it's at, or I'm not going to find it. Anyway, we'll find that out in a minute. Thank you. Behind a banana boat that's no longer in existence. Somebody needs to buy that, put some ice cream back in it. Take advantage of every encounter as an opportunity to represent Jesus. Be willing to be delayed. Be willing to be distracted. Be willing to be disturbed. And then you've got to make sure you value those ones that everybody else is looking away from. They're going to be different than you. They're going to have, have a different uh, look or smell or whatever. You've got to look past that and you've got to value them like Jesus valued them. You've got to engage them. The person with compassion you got to engage them like you have a responsibility to them. Because you know what? You do. As a representative of Jesus. And then you got to invest with confidence in God's power. I don't know what to say, but I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to go, Jesus loves you. You're like, where do I go from there? Do you not think the Holy Spirit has the ability to lead you in what they need to hear? If you know it, they'll know it because he's going to bring it to your mind and then be defined every day and motivated by the gospel. Stand up with me. There's another lesson, though. That's for believers. If you know Jesus as your Savior, take advantage of those opportunities. They're right there in front of us. Man, what God could do if we just did it. All right, lesson number two. From the perspective of the beggar, chances are great that we all came in today with a need. We all came in here with a burden. We all came in here with something that we can't fix and we just want God to do something about I've got some great news for you. I, I, don't, I don't have the money to give you. I, I don't have the answer to the problem in this world. I, 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 don't, I don't even know what to tell you about how to get that circumstance right side up. Here's what I do know. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the crucified and risen Lord, God the Son wants to meet you right where you are. He wants to look into your eyes deep down and say, I know you're hurting. I know you're frustrated. I know you're confused. But look here. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I want to walk with you in this. I'm going to use it 
I'm probably not going to act exactly like you want me to, but I'm going to use this. I'm going to transform your life if you'll let me. And I'll even take that circumstance that you think has got to go, and I'll use it in a way that you be able to, to, to tell your story from my glory to somebody else going through that. I want to meet you. I want to show you the way to me. That guy came looking for money and encountered Jesus. I don't know what you're looking for today, but I do know Jesus is available. I know he's ready to meet your need and mine. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around. I'm not even looking. But if you have a need today, you have a burden, you have a a weight of any kind, size, or type, and you say, Lord, I just want to raise that need to you. Nobody's looking. Just right where you're at, just raise your hand. God, I got a need. I, I don't know what to do about it, but I believe that you want to meet me in that need. Father, you see the hearts. You see the hands. I pray that you'll draw near. That those who are responding to your word. Father, I pray for that one who's here today and goes, I don't know that I've ever trusted Jesus. I, I, I know about him, but I don't know that I would consider myself a Christian. Father, I pray that you would just tug on their heart so that they would recognize that salvation, forgiveness, and the way into the family is through Jesus, his death and resurrection. And we enter that family by faith alone. Not by cleaning up, not by getting everything right in our life, but just simply by confessing Jesus as crucified in my place for my sin and raised for my justification. God, I I need you. I need your forgiveness, and I believe Jesus died to provide it, and God, I accept him. I want him. I want you to save me. I pray that you'll draw men and women, boys and girls, if they don't know Jesus, to simply confess him right there in their heart. And God, I pray that you'll meet those needs that we have. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. We got our prayer partners over here on the cross to your left. In the stillness of the moment, Maybe you'd like somebody to pray with you about something. You can go right there to them right now. Nobody's watching. Nobody's going to say a word. You say, Pastor Kevin, I I don't know. I can't move with with it so quiet in here. Well, they're going to be sitting there for a minute, standing there for a minute afterwards. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to encourage you. We love you, church. Wouldn't it be awesome to see God do a mighty work in Winter Haven just as a result of his people just taking those encounters as opportunities. So God, we ask that you'll burn your word into our heart. I thank you for Peter. I thank you for John. I thank you for their faithfulness. Just a couple of dudes like us. I ask that you'll help us to see the encounters today for your glory. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. All of us as church said, amen.